Hi, and welcome to Nasio Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Alex Whitaker in Washington, D.C. Today, we're talking with Jay Wyatt, who serves as Chief Information Accessibility Officer for the state of Minnesota. About a dozen or so states have a role like this, but it's still somewhat unique. So today, we're talking with Jay about what he does and what other state IT agencies can do to be more accessible. Jay, welcome to Nasio Voices, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me here. I really appreciate the opportunity to have a chat with you all this morning. Yeah, Jay, welcome. So tell us about your role as Chief Information Accessibility Officer and what you do. Well, I was very lucky. First of all, when I was hired to do the job, with my opportunity to build a job, they had not existed before. So I was like, here's the job. You figure it out. And basically, my role is to work with agencies and employees to embed accessibility into the culture of the state. One of the things we did that was by CD agency with digital accessibility coordinator throughout all the agencies and the IT partners and to empower them with effective, sustainable policy, process, tool, and procedure. So basically getting everybody to own accessibility in one way or another. Got it. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. And so, you know, based on our sort of basic research on you, we've seen that you have a long history of working in accessibility and technology. Can you tell us a little about, about your professional background and kind of how you came to the role? Sure. Um, my personal career has been a very winding path, which is actually not uncommon for people with disabilities. Um, so I have to be a very passionate not a great teacher in high school history. I fell into creating on-demand technology training for the telecommunications industry for that in the 1980s and 1990. So I was really in on the ground floor of how the internet would be developed. But I was t- providing training on how the building blocks of the internet worked. Then, after that, I became a product marketing manager for a software startup that was kind of the precursor to cloud-based personal computing, which was really fun. It didn't go anywhere, but it was a lot of fun. I also became the marketing director for one of the nation's largest captioning companies. And the way I got into that, as well as the other thing, was that on the side, as a volunteer, I served on boards of nonprofits, both local and national boards. And part of my role was be on board members and be active in nonprofits but that I wrote columns for national articles and magazines on how to make technology work, how to basically hack technology for accessibility. So I kind of built my accessibility credentials, like most people did on my own, in addition to the work that I was doing. So combining my technology work and working with people to figure out how to hack things, to make things work for people who are deaf or otherwise, kind of led to learn today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating and further proof that no one has a linear path to state technology. Everybody has sort of a cool background. So that's it's great to hear yours. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like one thing that states can start doing if they aren't already is being mindful of accessibility in the procurement process. So what are some key questions that folks in state IT should be asking when choosing a vendor? Sure. One thing you could do is ask the um, organization, hey, do you have a policy 
affirming your commitment to accessibility. And if you can, awesome, then ask them, can you describe how you ensure that your staff and your contractor has the knowledge and skill to create accessible digital technology? What you do, do you provide training? Do you hire people with credential? What you do? Then also ask them, what is your approach to ensuring accessibility for your offering? And so what you do, for example, do you test? Do you build it from the beginning? That accessible, do you build it yourself for a life cycle? If you do, tell them more about it. To basically ask a company to tell you in their own word what they do and how they do it. Yeah, that's great. That seems like pretty simple, practical advice too. Good way to get started. So I'm also interested in, you know, what are some key considerations for agencies when determining how to improve accessibility for employees? And then also, how about improving accessibility for the citizens that the agency interacts with? First of all, think about your back office application. When you hire someone, can they submit a time card? Can they check on their e-learning offerings or their learning requirements? What uh, your back office has to be accessible in order for your employee to be able to do their jobs. So that's one thing. Another very simple thing is your document. When you create documents, when you create training material, when you create video, training video, make sure they're all accessible. Very basic, simple thing. Make people feel included and wanting and valuable to the organization. For external users, it's not just what you buy, but how and what you implement that. Making sure that when you buy something, you don't break what works so that it works for people elsewhere. Also, very simple things like plain language. Making sure that everything's written in plain language and providing multi-language support from human translators allows you to think about inclusion. Accessibility really is a tool for inclusion and making people think that they belong here, that they can do things, they can get things done. Got it. Thanks, Jay. So obviously, the pandemic changed really so many aspects of work for for all of us. But we're also really curious about how specifically did pandemic and work from home influence your state's accessibility efforts? Absolutely. Collaborating providers. Think about Zoom, WebEx, Teams, so forth. They realized they had to up their game. They had a lot of things in process. Like team and Microsoft was saying, yes, we're planning to implement captioning in quarter three or whatever. And and HTC was saying, no, we need it now. We need to do it now. Because all of a sudden, nobody was face to face. People needed a way to be able to talk to each other. So the the collaborative provider really had to up their game and speed up and change their development time um, time cycle to get things to go. Another thing is that a lot of accessibility is in process and culture. This is not just simply technology. It's how you use it and how you incorporate it. So think about people calling in to meeting. Okay? Imagine you're calling into a meeting and somebody um, providing a slideshow. And they're realizing, oh, wait, I need to tell people what's on the slide. I need to verbally describe the slide because the person on the phone is the same as the person who is blind. So people started realizing, hey, we need to start incorporating a closer of how do we include people, whether they're on the phone, in person, remote, whatever. So it's not just describing things, it's also 
For example, if you attend a meeting at the state of Minnesota, you'll find people have a habit of saying, this is Jay, this is Bob, this is Mike. We start with our name first, so people know, oh, this is that person talking, instead of relying on people knowing by seeing or hearing who the person is. So culture is a big part of it. That's a really good point. I appreciate that too, because it's something that I, you know, wouldn't have considered in this world of Zoom where our name is displayed under our, our face. So I appreciate that. So what advice do you have for state IT offices who don't have a Jay Wyant working for them already, who don't have an IT accessibility coordinator position, um, and if they want to up their accessibility game? Sure. Well, first of all, accessibility, everyone's responsibility. Even though my office is within Minnesota IT services, the reality is accessibility is not an IT issue. It's an organizational issue. The organization are the ones who are buying and delivering the technology IT. They're the partner with them to help them do it. So much of our success has happened because we've got people in the state who are passionate about inclusion. And they work hard to make sure that their little corner of data operation think about and understand what to do. And the most successful people are those whose manager and supervisor recognize that value and give them the leeway and the time to do those efforts. Also, everybody is successful when they're able to collaborate across silos to share information so someone over here really knows how to make this PDF accessible. Someone over there really knows how to make this model accessible. Someone over and so on. So everyone knows a little bit something else different. And if they are allowed and enabled to collaborate and share resources, all different agencies benefit. And that's one of the things we've done by having accessibility at an office. And that we've been able to reach out and say, hey, you over there. You help this person over here with this organization over there know what you've done right so they can do it right themselves. And then here are some examples of low handy fruit, PDF, and other documents. Make them accessible and then use plain language to support simple surveys and forms that are more accessible. So, for example, not all the forms that you buy out there are accessible, but if you keep it simple, simple you avoid too many tricky things. You can make things accessible, even without having to know a whole lot, by keeping it simple and straightforward. Also, I would say that procurement leaders have resources to start incorporating accessibility. You've all probably heard of voluntary product accessibility templates with VPAC. Now, it's a mixed bag how effective they are, but the fact is, they are put out by the Information Technology Industry Council, ITIT, which is not a government organization, it's a private industry. Okay, they put it out and they got a training program right on there on their website. So if you're a procurement and you're told, hey, you got your VPAC, the information's there, the training's there. You can do that. And then there's lots of information on accessibility that's free. Just start Googling, finding reputable organizations, ask around who do I trust? WebAIM is a great nonprofit. They have lots of free, te- free training and free information out there. There are several other organizations that are constantly pushing out free information. So you can ask them around and you can run or not really easily. Got it. Thank you so much, Jay. We really appreciate that. So, but of course, we can't let you go today without asking a couple of questions about your life outside of work in a segment that we call The Lightning Round. Are you ready? Absolutely. 
I'm ready right. for it. All right. Amy, take it away. Okay, Jay. Your LinkedIn profile mentions that you like doing home remodeling projects. So what's something that you've done around the house recently? Well, the reason, one reason why I did that was that we decided we have a garage that was built well after our house was built. Our home was built in 1903. The garage was built much later than that, and it was really a piece of crap. And with at least what the snow would leave right into it, and it was messy, so we tore it down. And we said, well, you know what? Let's put an apartment on top of it. So we, uh, my wife and I, built the garage with an apartment on top of it ourselves. And so we got the whole structure up. We put siding on. We put a roof on. We had electricians and plumbers in. I just finished building the stairs last week, last weekend. And uh, now we're working on the flooring, the cheat rocking, and all that upstairs. So, yeah, that's our, that's our project. Oh, that's a huge undertaking. Yeah, Jay, it, it takes me weeks to get pictures uh, hung up in our, in our house. So I'm incredibly impressed by that. That's very cool. So our annual conference this year is in Minneapolis. What's something you would recommend a visitor do in your city? Well, you picked a great reason to come. The first weekend of October is peak fall season here in Minnesota. We, what's also great about Minneapolis is that we got lake in the middle of the city within walking distance from downtown. I live right by one of those lakes. And so really when it comes to to um, take a bus or Uber or whatever to the lake and just walk around the lake and enjoy the fall. If you have a car or if you can take a ride share somewhere, have them. Now, here's the problem. You're coming one week after the Twin Cities Marathon, which is the most beautiful urban marathon in the United States or the world. But you can have them drive you on the marathon route. And that takes you around the lake, up the creek, down to Minnehaha Falls, along the river, down to the capital. It's a beautiful drive, and it's a great way to get exposed to the Twin Cities. Awesome. That sounds great. And uh, I know Alex is probably jealous that he's missing the marathon. He's a big runner. Yeah, just one week. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then final question. Have you gone on any vacations this summer? And if so, where? Well, we had a family reunion um, from my father's side of the family in Colorado in Breckenridge. And then our family used that opportunity to take a few days off after that. And we went to a town called Frisco, which is right off of Highway 70. So Beautiful. You know, some members in our family who are not too thrilled about that idea about going up windy mountain road. But Frisco, right off of I-70. And it was really nice to go there. And then we took a trip to Ludville, which is the highest incorporated town in the country. And so, of course, we had to check out Ludville. So it was fun to hang out at Frisco, Breckenridge, Ludville, and be in high elevation without too many winding roads. Yeah, I lived in Denver for two years, and I've been to all those places. Absolutely beautiful. Love them. Yeah, I love it when a family reunion gives you an excuse to check out some places that you maybe wouldn't otherwise. So that's always fun. Well, Jay, uh, that's all the time we have for today, unfortunately. But thank you again for taking the time to talk with us about accessibility and information technology and in broader state government as well. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. Well, thank you, too, for taking the time to talk with me. And I'm always happy to talk about accessibility with anyone. And everyone who has a question or wants to learn more about us, please feel free to post my content information and let people know we'll be able to help them out. Okay. Awesome. Great. Will do. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to NASIO Voices. NASIO Voices is a production of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers, or NASIO. 
If you liked this episode, please consider sharing it on LinkedIn or Twitter. We'll be back in two weeks with more great state IT. Bye.